Readings from Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 to 28, page 1525 of the Black Bibles. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is deeply put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honour their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Good morning once again. It's great to have you here with us. I hope that you managed to get a leaflet when you came in this morning. If you did, you'll find a bit of an outline as to where we're going as we look through the first part of Matthew chapter 15 together today. I want to say a big thank you to Andrew Hurd and to a number of commentators upon whose shoulders I'm standing this week as we look at this passage, which I think you'll agree has some controversy to it and is a little tricky to understand. We are working our way through the middle chapters of Matthew's Gospel and we've been asking the question over the last few weeks, 
what is the kingdom of God like? What's the kingdom of God like? You might remember back in chapter 13, we saw the parable of the buried treasure and the parable of the pearl of great worth. We saw there the value of the kingdom of heaven. Remember, I talked to you about the the wreck of the San Jose, that Spanish galleon that sank to the bottom of the sea with its $17 billion worth of gold coins and emeralds. If you knew where that ship was, you would pursue it, wouldn't you? You'd, You'd invest in technology. You would work out the legal implications of trying to get your hands on that $17 billion worth of treasure because it's worth it. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like, we saw. It's worth seeking after. And the king of that kingdom, we saw, is Jesus. And we looked at the parable of the net. I wonder if you remember us looking at that parable of the net. And we saw that the kingdom of heaven requires a decision, and it's a big stakes decision. It's a life or death decision. You might be facing some big decisions in life at the moment. Do I apply for that new job? Do I buy that new house or that new car or do we send kids to that school? They're big decisions and I'd hope you'd be praying about them and thinking about them and chewing them over. But they're not really life or death decisions, are they? We saw in chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel, the kingdom of heaven and choosing to be in it is a life or death situation. It's a decision that stays with you, actually not just for this life, but for all eternity. That's what's on stake here. And last week we looked at Matthew chapter 14 and Matt Winter helped us to see the, the, the comparison between two kings, between King Jesus, a man of compassion, a man who worked miracles, a man who's the very son of God, and King Herod, a man of violence and greed and lust. And Matt encouraged us to choose King Jesus. This week in chapter 15, we're having a look, I think, at a defining characteristic of those who are part of the kingdom of God. Those who choose to follow after the king. And I want us to see that this passage today is all about the heart. It's all about having your heart fixed and cleansed and changed. That is to say, this passage is all about our attitude and our inner intentions and our essence and the way that we think about things. I hope as we work our way through this passage, you'll see today that the natural state of our hearts, they're just simply not as good as we'd hope they might be. I want us to see today that God desires our affections And also want us to see that God alone is the one who can repair our hearts. God alone is the one who can clean filthy hearts. I want us to see as well that the king of the kingdom, Jesus, I want you to see that he can see into our hearts. It's a scary thing, isn't it, knowing that the king of the kingdom can see into our hearts. He's like an adept radiologist. He sees our inner workings. He knows us. So that's the context of the passage that we're looking at today. We're grappling with what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's of great worth. It's a life and death decision. That's the context. Let's get into the passage. If you haven't already done so, I'd love you to open your Bibles to page 
1,525. I'm just going to read to you the words that Mark read again, just from the start of chapter 15. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15. I'm just going to read the first six verses to you again. It says this, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they're not to honour their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. A little bit complicated what's going on. Let's see if we can try and unpack this together. We know at the end of chapter 14, you might like to just look back up there, that Jesus is on the shore of Lake Galilee at Gennesaret. And some Pharisees come up from Jerusalem. I want you to see what's on view here. I've got a map on the screen behind me. You can see Jerusalem and Gennesaret. What I want you to sort of think about here is it's it's a bit like head office sending a delegation to come and check up on your workplace. When I worked as an engineer in the glass factory, occasionally head office would send out some experts to check up on what we were doing. Normally it was after we'd had a problem of some sort. But in the lead up, we'd paint and polish and clean up the place. I want you to see that's kind of what's on view here. The Pharisees come from Jerusalem to Gennesaret. It's about 150 kilometres, and back then there's no cars and no aeroplanes, and so to get there, they probably walked. It's a fair bit of effort for head office, isn't it? To send someone up to go and check on Jesus. And when they get there, look at what they say. Your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. It seems a pretty ridiculous thing to travel 150 kilometres to say, doesn't it? Your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. Now today, uh, we know the importance of washing our hands, particularly with respect to hygiene, right? Our modern day world has a propensity to do this. I think that's due to a guy called Ignace Semmelweis, who was uh, a doctor at the Vienna General Hospital. And way back in the 1840s, he observed that babies who were being born in the hospital and their mothers were much more likely to develop infections than those who were born in the midwife-run clinic across the road. Semmelweis worked out that this is probably because the doctors had just been performing autopsies before they were helping to deliver babies. And it's a pretty gross thought, but Semmelweis worked out that there were cadaver particles on the doctor's hands when they went to help the babies being born, and that was causing infection. He introduced the idea of washing hands, and he turned around that result of people getting sick in the hospital. So washing your hands, it's it's an important thing to do in terms of personal hygiene, isn't it? In fact, today, the lunch that I eat, I'm hoping that whoever makes that has washed their hands. If you're going out to a restaurant for a meal this evening, I'm sure that you'll hope the chef has washed their hands. When you go to the doctor or the surgeon, likewise, you hope they've washed their hands. None of us want to be contaminated with cadaver particles or any germs for that matter. But this passage has not got much to do with germ control, does it? What's really going on here, I'd like you to see, is a trick or a trap. 
See, the Pharisees are trying to allege that Jesus is leading the disciples astray, teaching them to break the rules and regulations. That's why they've sent the delegation up, to, up from Jerusalem to Gennesaret. It's an ambush, a trap. If we're going to understand this, we need to dig, I think, a little bit into first century life because it's confusing how this would be an ambush today. Do you know what the tradition of the elders is that's mentioned here? What it's not, it's not the commands of God. Rather, it's a set of rules that are designed to ensure that the commands of God or the law is not inadvertently broken. These rules were passed on orally. They weren't written down. They were a little bit later on, but at the time when uh, Matthew's recording this, these rules weren't written down. And they're kind of like a safety measure. They're designed to build a fence around the law. See, breaking the law is dangerous, potentially even deadly, And these rules are designed to stop people going anywhere near the place where they might break the law. Last term, Meredith and I and the kids went on a camping trip to Kangaroo Island. We visited the remarkable rocks. I don't know if you've been there before, but as we got closer, Piper said to us, these rocks really are remarkable. And they are, aren't they, if you've been there before, these huge formations, and they're sitting on top of a large dome rock that shapes its way down to the sea. And as you walk up to the remarkable rocks, there are memorials on the side of the walkway reminding you that people here have died. Not because the rocks themselves are dangerous, but the sea around the rocks is treacherous, deadly, it's rough and it's cold and it's deep. The rocks themselves aren't going to kill you, but the sea might. And so they put these markers on the rocks, a bit like a fence, saying, don't go beyond here. Beyond here, you might slip, you might die. Oh, the tradition of the elders is a fence a bit like that. Don't go any further. You might go into a place where you get in trouble. But the Pharisees, they don't come to protect Jesus or the disciples. They're not there to help them. They're not there to stop them falling off the cliff. They're there to trap or ambush Jesus. I want you to see in the passage that Jesus sees right through that plot. And he hits back with an accusation of his own. He retaliates. We see that in verses 3 to 9. Jesus sees into their hearts and he hits back. And he shows how the old traditions of the Pharisees nullify the commands of God or the word of God. And he uses the example of honouring your parents. We find the command to honour your parents back in Exodus 20. It's one of the Ten Commandments. At times, this is one of those bits of the Bible that I'd like to have written across our lounge room wall, you know, in big letters, especially when I'm getting the kids ready in the morning for school. It says this, Honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And Jesus takes this idea of honour, and it seems to equate to a child's responsibility to take care of their parents, presumably into old age. Care that includes the provision of money and food and support. The Pharisees, with their tradition, they had devised a means whereby that money that might have gone towards supporting your parents instead could be marked off and given to the temple. But later on, if you wanted that money back, you could take it back. It could be diverted back into your own pocket. Essentially what's happening here is a way to skirt your responsibilities. It's a kind of clever form of tax evasion. It's really just theft. And hitting back, Jesus exposes the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. 
He says, it might look like you're doing the right thing, but your hearts are simply in the wrong place. This is a loophole, not a way of expressing devotion to God or honour towards your parents. The Pharisees might look like they're doing the right thing, but their hearts aren't in it. And so Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 29. Did you see that there in your Bibles in Matthew? Jesus says, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. In other words, you Pharisees, you perfectly match what Isaiah said nearly 700 years earlier. You honour God with your lips, and yet your hearts are far from me. See, God cares about the state of our hearts. And he's able to see what they're like. In verses 10 and 11, Jesus goes on to clarify what he's been saying. Cleanliness and purity doesn't come from what we do. It's a matter of the heart, not ritual. As really seems to rub the Pharisees up the wrong way. And so the disciples report back in verse 12, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? I wonder how you respond to challenges in life. I think I'm often pretty quick to say sorry and to apologise. Jesus keeps pushing at this point though, doesn't he? He doesn't say sorry. He says, leave them, they are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. Here's the question, what is Matthew, our author, what is he trying to do with this story? What is he want us to know and think about at this point. What's going on behind the text? And I think, at least in part, he's asking a question, isn't he? Who do you stand with? Are you with Jesus, the king of the kingdom, or are you with the Pharisees? Are you with the head office, with the elite, with the delegation who have been sent up? Who will you follow? So from here on in Matthew's Gospel, it's just heading in one direction. It's heading towards Jerusalem. It's heading towards the cross. It's heading towards the place where the elite and the religious rulers will kill Jesus on the cross. It's the wise and the educated. They're the ones who do that. Matthew's saying to us, a choice needs to be made. Who are you with? Are you with Jesus or not? King of the kingdom... Kingdom of heaven is of great value. That king is a gracious king, a loving king. But a choice needs to be made. Whose side are you on? The Pharisees are an easy target for Jesus here in this story, aren't they? An easy target for Matthew. But you know, I think that Matthew's also pressing us here as well. The real target is not perhaps the Pharisees, but us. How are we today? What do our hearts look like? Now, most of us, I don't think, are going to get caught up in ritual hand-washing. It's not part of what we do today. That doesn't mean that our hearts are right, does it? Come over with me to verses 18 and 19 over the page. William Taylor, who's a pastor in the UK... There's a really great way of explaining these verses. He says, they're a bit like a spiritual ECG, echocardiogram, that thing that looks at your heart. They're a bit like an examination of our hearts. And let me read them to you. It says this, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. 
and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Today you might not be a murderer sitting here. I wonder if you ever had a murderous thought though. When was the last time you were busy driving in traffic, just minding your own business, and some hooligan cuts in front of you, maybe blasts their horn at you? Did you have a murderous thought at that point? What about adultery? Back in chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, we read this, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. How's your heart? These are the things that defile us. And as you read these verses and as you undergo that spiritual ECG, what do you think of your heart? Where's it at? Because we're broken, aren't we? And the king of the kingdom sees into us. He knows us. In the past week, I've been away on a conference with many of the Trinity staff and with lots of pastors from around the country, and we've been encouraged to have a heart for those who don't yet know Jesus, a heart for the lost. We've been encouraged to remember that this is a life or death concern. Been encouraged not to be distracted, but to care for and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. To call on him to act. In May this year, a Russian passenger jet crash land landed and the rear of the plane burst into flames. I've got a photo of it on the screen. Florian can throw that up for us. Um, the back of the plane was on fire. When the plane finally came to a standstill on the runway, they popped open the front doors and threw out the emergency chutes. Remember, the back of the plane is on fire. That day, 41 people died in the back of this aeroplane. They say that some may have lost their lives because those at the front of the plane stopped to get their overhead bags out of the luggage bins at the top. This is what Mr. Shavenko a passenger on the plane said, he says, I don't know what to say about the people who ran out with bags. God is their judge. It's a matter of the heart, isn't it? How much do we care for those who don't know Jesus? Are we distracted with the overhead luggage bins in our life? Or those around us live their life without knowing the king of the kingdom? So I think few of us today fall into the traps of putting our hope and trust in religious practices. That's not our challenge today. That doesn't mean that our hearts are perfect, does it? Maybe we need to be cleansed as well. Our culture tells us that the world in which we live is a pretty good world and that we're getting better as a society. I think is what our world says. We're getting better at being people, about living in this world. We're better at caring for the marginalised, better at caring for those uh, who don't fit the mould. Our culture tells us we're pretty good and that we don't really need saving. But that's a trap and a lie. Run the spiritual ECG on your heart. Mine is filthy. It's far from clean. I don't yearn for the things of God as I should. What about you? 
I'm really encouraged by you here at Trinity Church Hunley. I love being part of this church. We are, by and large, loving, kind, considerate, generous, faithful people. But even the best of us, I suspect a spiritual ECG will diagnose problems with our hearts. Lauren, I've got a passage from Jeremiah up on the screen behind me. Jeremiah, I think, was right when he said, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So what are we to do? We got this far, what are we to do then? Well, I love what William Taylor says. This is an illustration of his that I'm going to borrow. He says, think of a watch. I've got a watch here. Uh, It's an iWatch. He says, look at the iWatch closely. If your watch was broken, would you get out your hammer, your pliers, your screwdriver, and would you try and fix it? I certainly wouldn't with mine. I don't even know how to get a screwdriver into this thing. He says, so what do you do if your iWatch is broken? He says, it's quite simple, isn't it? You return it back to the maker. You send it back to the maker. And it's the same with our hearts, isn't it? God is the one who's in the business of repairing and cleansing hearts. He is our maker. He's the one who understands our hearts. Jeremiah lamented about this, but it's God who understands our hearts. He knows the cure. It was a costly cure, sure, but he knows it. And so we need to come to him and say, Lord, help me. And to come to the king of the kingdom and say, Lord, help me. And we see this in the story of the Canaanite women, if we see nothing else. Come down and have a look at verse 25 of this passage with me. It says, the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. Lord, help me. So I'll take a minute or two to try and work through this story of the Canaanite woman with you because it seems that at first reading, I wonder if you recognise this as Mark was reading it, it's a pretty harsh story, a, a story of insult and a story of prejudice. Jesus, it seems, is even referring to this woman as a dog. How dare he do that, you might think. He seems reluctant at first to heal her daughter. What's going on in this story? Let me do my best to try and explain what I think is happening here. I think this is a reversal story, or a story with a twist or an outcome that we don't really expect. The person who approaches Jesus, firstly, is a woman. That's unusual at this time and place in the world. And secondly, she's a Canaanite woman. I understand that this is the only time in the New Testament that we read that word Canaanite. Do you remember who the Canaanites were? They were, of course, the ancient enemies of Israel. They were the ones who lived in the promised land, the ones who they were supposed to kick out of the land. So here we have a person who we wouldn't expect to be approaching Jesus, a Canaanite woman approaching the king of the kingdom. And she comes asking for the healing of her daughter. No doubt she's heard about the power of Jesus and she comes to him pleading. And Jesus responds at first that he wasn't sent to the lost, that he was sent firstly to the lost sheep of Israel. I think there's something here about the salvation plans of God, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Remember, the Jews were the covenant people of God, they were God's special people. And I found the choice of words in verse 26 this week a bit difficult. It says it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. It's a harsh thing to say, isn't it? seems as though Jesus is speaking in a very derogatory way to this woman. 
Now look at the woman's response. She says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. This woman, this Canaanite woman, has, has in a way just bested Jesus in a battle of the sayings. Right? The Pharisees earlier on, they were flounced, weren't they, at this point? She's won an argument with Jesus in a way. And I think that's the contrast that Matthew wants us to see. This woman is not who we would expect approaching Jesus. She's a descendant from the enemies of Israel, and yet she approaches Jesus with great faith, and she presumes only on his grace. Compare that with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are doing their best to trick and to trap and to criticize Jesus. This woman knows she deserves nothing, just the crumbs that fall off the table. So here's someone who understands the state of their heart. She doesn't presume on God. In her mind, God is not obligated towards her. She can only presume on the grace of God. And she comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, help me. Isn't it wonderful? Lord, help me. And the contrast, I think, is what's really important here. It's about the attitude of our hearts. The attitude of the woman's heart versus that of the Pharisees. She knows her inner workings are all mucked up. She knows she's like a broken watch and she goes to her master and she says, Lord, help me. I think Matthew's encouraging us to think through the states of our hearts and to come back to God and say, Lord, help me. It's this action that I think God wants us to take as we look around the world and see the desperate plight of those who simply don't know the king of the kingdom yet. Lord, help us. And in his great mercy, God has given us a new heart, hasn't he? He's cleansed the old one and made it new. It was done through Jesus' work on the cross. Because of his resurrection, we can be confident that we one day will appear in glory. He's reconciled us, even though we were like Canaanites, aliens, foreigners, far from him. He's given us a new heart. I'm going to read to us as a prayer a few verses from Colossians chapter 1 and then Colossians chapter 3 as I finish. These verses will be on the screen if you'd like to read through them as I pray them. This is what Paul says. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And from chapter 3, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Amen. It's a great question, um, and please, uh, I love answering questions, so if you have questions, please uh, either text them in to me uh, or come and see me after. The question is, what is a helpful way to think about Jesus' response in verse 26 if we feel it's harsh? It's a great question. I think the, the response 
The way to understand this is to realize perhaps that Jesus is not targeting the individual as the woman here in the story, but rather it's a comparison between those who Jesus went to see firstly, Israel. The Pharisees should have been the ones who understood what was going on here. Instead, they're blind guides. And the Canaanite woman is kind of their in opposition, in a sense, two categories of people. He came first to the Jews. How do we get past that? Well, firstly, you'll note that her daughter was healed in this passage. She got what she was after. But I think the real kicker, come with me to, the, come with me to Acts chapter 28. Uh, you'll find that on page 1743. At the end of Acts, we have um, this, a passage again from Isaiah. Go to this people, and this is verse 26, go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. Speaking about the Jews again. Speaking about people like the Pharisees. And then have a look at verse 28 of Acts 28. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, people like the Canaanite woman. It's been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. So here's the real kicker, isn't it? They will listen, the Gentiles. So that's the kind of reversal in a sense, the gospel story. The Canaanite woman represented um, the opposite, the opposition to the Pharisees, the other side of the coin, so to speak. And in Acts we see the great news that God's salvation has been sent to those sort of people and they will listen. I hope that answers your question. If not, please um, come and ask me afterwards. We'll talk it through a bit more. Thanks, Pete.